You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're having fun storming the castle in Fab Facts. Why, there's gold beneath our feet in the randomizer. And we're going down to the roots of the Space 1999 family tree. Ooh, excavations. All coming up in Pod 207 of the Archaeological Cherry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Family tree stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this whole podcast is a bit family tree in a sort of nepotistic way, isn't it? Well, speak for yourself. Yeah, well, exactly. So, uh, being myself, yes. Jamie Anderson, son of the yeah. late, great Jerry Anderson, yeah. I suppose this is pure nepotism. Yeah, um, but I'm I wasn't just, uh, selected to be host from a no. panel of amazing uh, tri- trialees. No, no, that's not the word. Mm. But who are you then? Why are well, you here? <laughs> me? I mean, I'm I'm just here because I've got nothing better to do. But I'm Richard James. I have been and always will be the co-host of the Jerry Anderson podcast. If that's not too presumptuous. No, I think it's it's entirely accurate. <laughs> uh, and of course, we're also yes. joined by uh, over there now. He's covered in my puppies. Isn't he? What is he he's up Chris to? He's Chris Dale. I mean, he's just curled Aww. up on the floor, covered no, in miniature dachshunds. They're all snoozing peacefully. I don't, I don't really want to wake him up. I think he's, no. I think he's dreaming. Can you, can you see oh, his? Yes. I can see him sort of whimpering, and twitching his. Yeah, Aww. that's right. That's sweet, anyway, so that sleeping beauty over there is a, Chris Dale. Bit of drool coming out the side of his mouth. Oh uh, well, ignore that. Oh, okay. it's, it's 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 sweet. It's charming. Yeah, drool. It uh, oh, fine. But when when he's finished his little nap with uh, the miniature Daxons, he will be here to do the randomizer because he is the randomizer. He'll be pressing the big red button on his randomizer and selecting a random Jerry Anderson series, a random episode of that series, and then saying things not at all randomly, but very thoughtfully and cleverly and amusingly. Yes, he will. All of that. I say, let sleeping Dales lie. Don't you? Uh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yes. Well, until the randomizer. <laughs> Quite uh, right. But between now and the randomizer, we have a whole host of other Anderson-related content. Uh, do you yeah. want to tell them what some of that is, or should we just well, skip that bit for this week? No, I mean, I might as well while I'm here. Otherwise, you know, nothing, okay. nothing else for me to do, really. So, uh, what well, we've got um, letters, emails, tweets, Facebook letters? postings. I Stop know. right there, I know, Richard I James. Well, I've just... Nobody has ever written us a letter in no. 206 previous podcasts. I tell you what, wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a letter? But how okay. would we go about getting that without either of us indulging our private home addresses? I'll find out a way at some point in the next <laughs> podcast or two to make that yeah. happen. Also, I said indulging instead of divulging. Perfect. We're doing right. very well so far. <laughs> yes, are we? So, anyway, other than so, the letters, well, what else? Yes, but you didn't let me finish, did you? You interrupted. So we've got letters, emails, Facebook postings, Twitterings, uh, all coming yep. up a little later on from our wonderful Podstrons. We've got the second part of the interview. Uh, I think it's featuring the, the Space 1999 book. Uh, oh, it's... it's um, oh, Jamie, you're going to have to remind me what it's called. 
to, some, to it's it's everything that was, isn't it? Is that the that uh, the book? That's right, and that's uh, from David Hirsch and Robert Wood. Robert Wood. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so we've got the second part of uh, Ben's, I think, interview with them coming up a little yes, later indeed. on. Yes, uh, indeed. And we've got some newsy news, 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 because, I mean, <laughs> we know that there's brand new Jerry Anderson stuff happening right now. But also, Podstron, you may not be aware, but Jamie and I often have a little chat before we start recording with some really exciting newsy news 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 that won't actually feature in the newsy news 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 for perhaps weeks. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yes, well, there's always something like that. Yeah. I've also just realised that the book isn't called To Everything That Was, it's To Everything That Might Have Been, which Everything is the other part of that been. famous phrase from Black Sun, but it's so yes. ingrained in my head, Yeah, I right. can't help but uh, go down that road. Anyway, yes, yes, yeah. you're right. Good. That won't feature in today's news. No, true. So actually, even the news isn't as up-to-date as it might be, because there's even more newsy news news newsy news 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 than the actual newsy news 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 that we're going to tell you about. You're spot on. Yeah. Let's not uh, tease also, too much. No. We've got Fab Facts coming up as well, and that's where Jamie flicks through a book of uh, random facts. Uh, I shout the word fab, and uh, Jamie settles on a particular page of fact, reads it out, and we dissect, discuss, dismiss, and enjoy said fab fact yeah are often disappointed by said fab yeah, well, fact well, i think you said that jamie not me yeah uh it's yeah accurate. so all of that and probably much more coming up on this week's jerry anderson podcast well i can't wait mm. uh i'm sure neither can our podstrons and if you're no. listening to this and you can hear us right now you are a podstron whether this is your first or 207th jerry anderson podcast wow yeah welcome either way yes absolutely so rather than keep you waiting for more content Let's go straight into this week's Fab Facts. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Well, actually, do you know how normally I go to great lengths to explain Fab Facts and how it works? Well, you did such a good job in the intro. That we're not going to do Fab Facts? No, no, I don't need to introduce it again. So, Podstron, I refer you back to my colleague's previous description of this segment, in case you're not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. And now we we, we shall proceed without introduction. Oh, just going straight for it, are you? I have a book of fab facts. Richard, are you ready with your fab? Born ready. Then here comes the flicking. Fab! Oh, hang on. You went a bit over there, I think. No, I didn't. Sure? I never go over. I think there's a little little delay on the line. Oh, So I wouldn't worry. All right. And before you get fixated on on that, uh, let me distract you with this fab fact. Uh, Richard James. Yes, Jamie Anderson. Can you tell me what connects tissue paper, yeah. water pistols, steep hills, and thunderbirds? Uh, would it be my 1976 holiday to Clacton-on-Sea? Well, that's answered that. Yeah. That's the okay. end of this week's... Fa- oh, no, that's right. Uh, oh. it, it's, it, is, oh. it is not that. Okay. Uh, we need to travel to find out. So we're heading over to Japan... Oh, lovely. And to the popular 1980s game show that is also played in many other countries around the world, including the UK, oh. where it's, I think, um, narrated by Craig Charles. Oh? It's it- Takeshi's Castle. Yeah, ah, yes, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for those who've not seen Takeshi's Castle, well, what have you been doing with your life? Mm. Seriously. Uh, mm. There's nothing better to do than watch Takeshi's Castle. Uh, but let me tell you, if you have missed it, the basic premise of the show involves 100 contestants undertaking a variety of difficult obstacle courses and other physical challenges, 
which usually end uh, in them falling into water or into mud from a yeah. great height. Yeah. Um, with the few survivors then attempting to storm the castle of Count Takeshi in the hopes of winning a cash prize of one million yen. So there you go. I, I don't know what the, uh, the rate five. is for exchange there, but it's, it's it's a bit more than that, I think. Uh, considering that most of the challenges they faced were so dangerous that even Captain Scarlet would probably think twice, obviously yeah. there weren't often any winners. Oh. Uh, certainly not many, anyway. Right. Each of the show's many courses would be accompanied with a piece of background music, some of them quite well known. These background tracks included lots of music from video games, plus instrumental versions of several well-known songs, including Surfing USA by the Beach Boys, and mm-hmm. many film and television themes, including the Star Wars theme, the uh-huh. Star Wars Cantina Band theme, the Indiana Jones theme, two incidental tracks from Star Trek For The Voyage Home, wow. and, drumroll please, the Thunderbirds theme. Yes, as we know, the Japanese are huge fans of all things Anderson, and Thunderbirds in particular. Firstly, there was a game that only appeared in one episode of Takeshi's Castle in which a helicopter dropped a hundred coloured balls into the ocean for (laughs) contestants to recover, uh, and that featured the Power Themes 90 version of the Thunderbirds theme. Oh, yeah, okay. And there's two other regular Takeshi's Castle games also uh, that feature the Barry Gray Orchestra single release of Thunderbirds that uh, you'll find on uh, on most of the Best TV Themes compilation albums. Oh, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Uh, the first, which opened the show, was called Slipped Discs. Oh, don't. At least it was in the UK dub of Takeshi's mm. Castle, uh, and featured the 100 contestants trying to climb over a steep wall armed only with a water pistol. Uh, their water pistol had a ring on it covered with tissue paper, and if that ring was perforated by the water pistols of the guards defending the wall, they're out of the game. Ah. The second was called Uphill Garden. Right. Uh, and featured a similar setup with contestants armed with water pistols that again had a ring of tissue paper on. But this time they had to make their way one by one up an exceptionally steep uh, and often extremely muddy hill where the guards made their own way down from the top of the hill to shoot at their rings. Oh, so it was just like my 1976 holiday in Clacton on Sea. Very similar, but no one million yen prize at the end. Uh, Needless to say, the guards often had a very hard time of it, particularly when they were dressed as motorbikes or tanks or (laughs) similarly bulky costumes. This is all bizarre, isn't it? But fantastic. Now, obviously, it all sounds a little bit silly and not really the place you'd expect to hear the Thunderbirds theme, but somehow the two things do fit together quite well. I can imagine. As there is something almost magical about watching three Japanese men dressed as a sea monster falling uncontrollably down a hill... (laughs) to the grandeur and dignity of the Thunderbirds theme. <laughs> I love it. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, uh, it seems that the Thunderbirds theme is very often used as a shorthand for something exciting is about to happen. Yes, uh, someone absolutely. posted on our, on our Facebook group this week that apparently uh, it was level 42 used to use the famous Peter Dinley countdown and uh, the introductory theme to Thunderbirds as they came on stage, apparently. Ah. So, you know, it's very often a shorthand. It's a way of saying... Get ready, something exciting is about to happen. Yes, peculiarly and possibly not that uh, perfect in terms of brand, it it does mean stand by for action. <laughs> yes. Although that's does. from the previous show. Yeah, but so what who would have realised? To then be confronted by level 42. I mean, yes. Wow. Well, <sighs> or, or by a muddy slope. 
I mean, yes. Now it was wasn't there's Fort Boyard as well, isn't there? That was that's a sort of a fairly Fort similar Boyard. Boyard was it? Yeah. That yeah, was a I similar think it was. Game wasn't show. that hosted by Melinda Messenger and Leslie Grantham? I think. Yes. Strange what a strange pairing. Yeah, but seemed to work. That's what they say about us, Jamie. You know. <laughs> uh, which one's uh, Melinda and which one's Leslie? Uh, no, don't, because now you've set up something for Simon Allen to post in our Facebook group tomorrow, haven't you? Uh, you're right. So I can see those pictures now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you've spotted any other game shows or strange appearances of the Thunderbirds theme podcast, we'd love to know. Email us, podcast at jerryanderson.com. Uh, also, if you've spotted any other iterations of any other Anderson themes on Takeshi's Castle, I guess mm. that would be worth a spot too. Um, yeah. So drop us a line. A sort of mostly not Anderson-related fab fact this week, but at least it mm. d- did have a, a tenuous link through the music mm. of Barry Gray. Uh, mm. So that brings us to the end of this week's... Takeshi's Fact! Yay! There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I remember Ooh. watching Takeshi's Castle. Was it on sort of Channel 5 or something in the UK or...? I, I think late night Channel Five, but I just—I'm sure it was yeah. Craig Charles who did the voiceover for it. And it was pretty. He might be right. It was pretty funny. Craig got a very, Charles. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who needs to interview him when you've got Richard James doing his impression? In fact, we could I'm have Terry Wogan inter- interviewing Craig <gasps> Charles, and we'll be all sorted. There's something for the post-show bants. Anyway, uh, now you uh, mentioned right, there right. that people could email us in at uh, podcast at jerryanderson.com. And in fact, they have They certainly been. can. Yeah, Lou, for example, has got in touch to say, Hi, Richard, Jamie and Chris. Hope you're well. A couple of things. In Pod 203, there was mention of, did any background characters become main characters? And correct mm. me if I'm wrong, but both Sam Louver and Shane Weston were both background characters in Captain Scarlet. Not sure if there were any others, though. Anyway, says Lou, it was lovely to hear the first two parts of the Keith Alexander interview. Sam Louver is one of my favourite characters, so it's great to hear from the man who gave him a voice. And secondly, ah. I've been making a puppet for my university course and he's finally done. His name is Javier Hubble. And she attached a picture for us to look at. I've spent months making him and now he's completed. I've been spending my time scaring people in my class as all of them seem to be scared of puppets. When my tutor first saw him, she did cradle him like she was a newbo- he was a newborn baby and was Aww. running around showing all the other tutors and students. I thought I wasn't going to get him back. And that's from Lou. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, Lou's a member of our Facebook group as well and posted a picture of, uh, of Javier Hubble uh, on his oh, way thanks, uh, on the train. And he yeah. does it very smart, doesn't he? Yeah, really smart. Nice work. Uh, Jonathan Spencer says, hey, guys, I just wanted to say you smashed out another fantastic pod today. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the Keith Alexander interview over the last three weeks. An interesting man with some very interesting stories. Uh, The explosive fab fact was great, and I hope Richard recovered from you know what. Uh, The randomizer was terrific as always, especially in HD. Keep up the great work. And that's from Jonathan Spencer. And Sean Raven also got in touch to say hi, Richard and Jamie. Just thought I'd uh, drop a quick line and say how much I enjoy the podcast. The sharp repartee marvellous oh. interviews and of course oh. randomizer make my day ah. every monday morning regarding merchy merch 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 i wondered if there are any plans to bring some more wonderful soundtracks to the store i'm already a happy owner of the thunderbirds captain scarlet and soon to acquire space 1999 soundtracks but it would be really it would really make my day if we had soundtrack cds for stingray and terrorhawks here's hoping kind regards sean raven well sean raven Thank you for the nice email. I was it, mm. I wasn't sure he was talking about the right podcast then, but I became sure. increasingly certain that it was yes. the right one. Yes, yes. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, now I had a meeting with um, the lovely folk at Silver Screen last week. 
Did you? And uh, I mean, I can tell you there's definitely more soundtracks on the way. Okay. And I'm hopeful, Sean, that we can make your dreams come true over the next 12 to 18 months. How's that? Wow. Great. Well, I mean, can't, can't say better than that, no, can I? No, absolutely. That's pretty good. Uh, now, I've got a very, very long email here from Paul Davis, but I'm going to read it out. So, Jamie, settle back, put the kettle on, put your feet up. And I'll give you a prod when I'm done. Hi, Jamie and Richard slash Richard and Jamie. Up front, sorry for the long email, but I've been thinking about what I wanted to say in this email for a few weeks, and I wanted to get all my thoughts down in one go. Uh, I'm a fairly recent convert to the Jerry Anderson podcast, but now I listen every week, and like Richard, particularly enjoy Fab Facts. <clears throat> Good taste. Uh, especially those concerning the pioneering SFX of Derek Meddings. I've also been catching up on older episodes. My highlights so far include the interviews with Sophia Miles, Matthew Sweet and Sir Richard Taylor. Thank you for the weekly yes. instalment of Anderson-related banter, news and insight. I'm one of the 90s BBC repeats generation. Having started with the obligatory Thunderbirds, followed by Captain Scarlet, Stingray and Joe 90. The greater realism of the later Century 21 Supermarination series are particularly standout for me, but Thunderbirds will always be my favourite and holds a particular place in my heart. Following uh, along to episodes of uh, VHS with my Matchbox Tracy Island and Thunderbirds, which I still have, although I sold my Matchbox Marineville and Cloudbase as a teenager. Constructing a Zero X-inspired runway-assembled space plane out of Duplo, Barry Gray's excellent and evocative music to accompany the lumbering Sidewinder in Pit of Peril, and Stingray's March of the Oysters for the journey of the Martian probe rocket in Day of Disaster are all favourite moments. I partly credit Jerry's work with inspiring two life choices of mine. Firstly, my chosen career path as an engineer. I work in truck testing. And secondly, picking up the trumpet as a child, which I still play to this day. Albeit I now play in a nine-piece rhythm and blues band rather than the orchestras and symphonia of my school days. On both of these counts, I'm eternally grateful for the inspiration, wonder and seeds of curiosity that Jerry's shows sparked in my imagination. I was in attendance at the live podcast in Birmingham, which was great fun, followed by the 35mm Thunderbirds Argo 1966 film screening, and of course the wonderful and at times emotional Standby for Action concert, which I've pre-recorded on both CD and Blu-ray. I've also watched Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted on BritBox recently, and must commend Jamie and Benfield for putting together such a frank, informative, compelling and emotional documentary. Like many Podstrom parents, I've been passing my love for the Andiverse on to my three-year-old daughter, and I'll be doing the same with my six-month-old son when he's older. I've shown her the Super Marination productions, but for the time being, her favourite is Richard Taylor's Thunderbirds Are Go. Her favourite character is Lady Penelope, and her favourite craft are Thunderbird 4 and Thunderbird Shadow. Keep up the good work, and all the very best. That's Paul Davis, 33, from Bedfordshire. Thank you very much, Paul Davis. That is even Bedfordshire. What a nice yes, email. Absolutely. Yes. Isn't it's it amazing how one bunch Lots of shows of can, can affect someone's life so much. Yeah, absolutely. It just, I mean, well cut down. Thank you very uh, much. Yeah. yeah. Be- beautifully edited. Yes, no, thank you very much for getting in touch there, Paul. We always love to hear how the Jerry Anderson or the worlds of Jerry Anderson have inspired people both, both in their uh, professional and personal lives. Uh, so great to hear that he had an effect on you there, Paul. Uh, anyway, all for now, but do keep your emails coming in. You know the address, but I'm going to say it anyway. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. And I shall read out the emails next time. And your letters, too. Yes, which I'm sure we'll be receiving in the coming weeks. Um, <laughs> well, what a lovely start to the uh, e-postbag yeah, there. Absolutely. Uh, shall yeah. we have some Jerry Anderson news to break proceedings up? Oh, yes. What a grand idea. 
Then this is the time for the Jerry Anderson News. Yeah, go on then. Yes, as you're probably used to by now, it's the point in the show where we reach the Jerry Anderson News 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 News. news. Uh, yeah, thank you, Richard. Uh, that's that's lovely. All right. Uh, so, shall I give you the Jerry Anderson news, news now? News, news, news. Yeah. 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 Okay, fine. Well, let me start with some dramatic uh, introductory stuff. Right. Stand by to enter the danger zone on the 1st of June. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Now, oh. podstrons who are at the live podcast will know exactly what I'm talking about. But if oh. you weren't there, you probably won't know. So, hmm. yeah, not long to oh. the danger zone this week. That's it, uh, is it. Now, lots of you. That's all. That's it. Okay. Lots of you have been asking about the UFO comic anthology volume two, which is shipping at the end of this month. So make sure you get your pre-order in. It looks very much like the first print run is going to sell out because of the state of the world currently. A reorder for a second run will take us some time. So if you want to be sure of having a copy, just pop to shop.jerryanderson.com, search for UFO, and you'll see the comic anthology volume two right there. Uh, this is probably not really a question for you, Richard James, but did you get any goodies in the sale? Do you know we I just didn't. had? No, I'm not surprised. We didn't have yeah. any officer or in underpants on no, sale exactly. this weekend. So that's no. why. Mm. Uh, but uh, we had a, a, a sale to celebrate MCM Comic Con London. So thank you to all those who joined us for our panel about Jerry Anderson Life Uncharted: The Lost Words of Jerry Anderson, ah, which is great good. fun. Yeah. Uh, we really enjoyed doing that. And uh, if you couldn't make it to Comic Con, we hope you managed to get some goodies in the sale. Do let us know if you've got a nice haul. Send us a photo. Email it to podcastjerryanderson.com. I've got quite uh, a nice hall, actually. You, uh, really? Oh, yeah. yes, I've been through it. It's beautiful. The, beautiful with the dresser or the nice yeah, rug on the floor. really nice. The little chair to sit uh, on. Yeah, that's it. They come what? for the Jerry Anson content and they stay for the jokes. Wouldn't it be great, uh, though, if we did actually get pictures of people's halls? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Leo, uh, is it Varadkar? I, no, I always get the surname wrong. Um, the, what, the, the, the Irish... The president of uh, uh, Ireland? Yeah, 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 he's got a Lady Penelope print in his hall. Ah, has he? So there, he's okay. got a Jerry Anson hall. Anyway, Great. sorry, this is not about no. his hallway. This is no. about Jerry Anson stuff. So uh, if you are in sort of East Anglia area, I guess, we've yeah. got a screening on the 3rd of June in Ipswich at the King's Theatre of Jerry Anson Life Uncharted with a Q&A session with uh, me and Ben Field, if that doesn't put you off. Uh, just uh, have a look on the uh, the Jerry Anderson website, jerryanderson.com slash documentary for listings and links and stuff there. And can I let you in on a little tiny secret? Yes. Today, I've been listening to edits of Big Finish's UFO Volume 1. Have you? Ho, 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 hey. ho, ho, ho. And? And? Oh, it's lovely. It's, it? it's great. It's, 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 it's very, um, it, um, yeah, they've done a great job of expanding on the opening story. All and right. I'm, I'm very pleased with it. I think it's rather right. lovely. So okay. uh, if you want to get the box set or the download pre-ordered, you can go to bigfinish.com for that um, with a rather nice UFO on the front, I mm-hmm. think, done by our very own Chris Thompson. Oh, nice. Yes, of course. Yes, it is nice. You're right. Anyway, so yes, stand by for the Danger Zone on the 1st of June. That's all I shall say on that. And uh, that is the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. That was the news. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll be that was quite a, pun- a punchy one yeah. today that you, you gave us. Yeah, it's kind of mood I'm in today. 
Because sometimes you sort of make it drag on a bit and Why everyone's a bit sort of... Why do you not make oh, it drag on, on a bit? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, I'm heading over to What's our next? Facebook group because it's full of friendly people Good. who say nice things. Perfect. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Hey, now, this is rather nice. This is from Scott Sadler, who posted on our Facebook group, OK, so I'm due to get married on October the 8th this year. We've agreed that I cannot let a moment like this go unnoticed, and as an Anderson fan, we're adding some Anderson touches. Uh, the table names at the reception are named after my favourite episodes, with the centrepieces featuring pictures and details about the shows. As activities between the day's events, I have Thunderbirds, Scarlet and Stingray board games. Puzzle books, colouring nice. pages for the kids, Game Boys with the games, and Ring Toss. So I had the idea to collect large bottles for it and theme the individual bottles on characters and vehicles. After the wedding, I plan to keep them and put them on display on a kitchen shelf or something. I plan to do all five Thunderbird craft, five Captain's uniforms from Captain Scarlet, and the Wasp uniform and Fab One. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. And oh, Anderson lovely. wedding. I mean, we have Anderson birthdays and things, of course, all the time. Yeah, people posting pictures Anderson of their wedding. Anderson cakes, but a wedding. Amazing. Can't wait. I, mean, I mean, I've got one question. Are we going to be invited? Well, yeah. Where is our invite? Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, the... it, I mean, it's October, so there's still time. Yeah, but you would have thought they probably would have gone out by now. It's a bit awkward, oh, isn't it? I think we've been forgotten. <sighs> anyway, Sorry. moving Sorry swiftly I read on. It out now. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Dean Harrison posted, <laughs> listening to the email from our ambassador, Paul Hyde, from the Isle of Wight last week, uh, it made me realise that there was some nominative predestiny involved there. You see, Isle of Wight sounds a lot like Isle of Wight, W-H-I-T-E. White yes. light is known to contain all wavelengths of light, so white is, in a way, synonymous with spectrum. Then yeah, yes. Isle of Spectrum... Sounds just like I love Spectrum. So really, we have <laughs> Ambassador Paul Hyde of I Love Spectrum. Bit of a stretch, I know, but it just popped into my head and I had to share. It is yeah. quite a stretch, it is. but we'll accept it. Oh, OK. Yeah, good. Well, well done, Dean. It's like a, a thought vomit, wasn't it? Just that thing of, oh, I've got to, go, I've got to type this out. I've got to put this down. No, very much appreciated, Dean. Uh, Stuart James Lusher. Now, here's the thing. Says, I thought I'd let everyone know that Space 1999 is back on Horror Channel next Monday. So I think that's this ah. evening, if you're listening on day of broadcast. Uh, yes. Release at 7pm and 8pm on Horror Channel Plus One. FAB, SIG, PWOR and SPA. Now, Thank you for the heads up. Space 1999 didn't really have an acronymic sign-off, did it? Like SIG or FAB? No. No. Right. Yeah. And that's that's strange. odd, isn't it? And nor did UFO, did it? No, but I suppose at least UFO had shadow. But I wonder if it's because space and UFO are sort of thought of as a little more adult and perhaps... More grown of, up. Yes. Perhaps it wasn't, you know, deemed to be suitable. And, you know... OMG, we know that adults don't use three-letter no. acronyms. So. No, absolutely. No, quite. Yeah. Uh, WTF. Uh, April Penfold <laughs> says, Hi, Podstrons. I'm going through all the podcasts from the beginning as I oh, used to listen to them with my I'm hubby so when I joined him in his van. He used to be a delivery, a delivery and courier driver. He now works in a computer factory and I no longer get to listen to them with him. Oh, oh isn't that a shame? Uh, April says, so I decided to start from the beginning and listen to the ones I missed as well, but I'm having to listen to them from jerryanderson.com as iTunes starts from pod 46, which can be annoying yeah. as that player on the website doesn't remember which pod I listened to before and I have to scroll down the list every time I want to listen. 
from April Penfold, and you can hear the frustration in her voice. Oh, yeah, very beautifully conveyed there. Yeah, there you go. I'm an actor. Yeah, I'm sure if you go to the uh, to jerryandersonpodcast.com, you can put into the search oh, feature okay. there the number of the podcast. That should bring it up. But yeah, unfortunately, I think iTunes only lets us send them 150 uh, uh, pods or, th- or 300 total. But because we do the trailers, yes. that they, they count as, as the other 150, you see. I see. So. so for everyone we release, they kind of knock one off the uh, exactly. start. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, uh, Ralph Titterton and many others did recommend to April that she download the Ander app where you can apparently listen yes. very easily to uh, any number uh, of the podcasts that you wish to find. You're so, absolutely right. Yes, that. just yeah. go to your app store of choice and type in Anderapp, A-N-D-E-R-A-P-P. Yeah, it's rather a snazzy thing to have on your phone anyway, really. Uh, and finally, somebody called Chris Dale has been posting on our Facebook group. Ring any bells? Yeah. No, doesn't mean no. anything to me. No. Anyway, he says, finally got round to visiting the Museum of Brands at Ladbrook Grove in London, where they have a walkthrough time tunnel exhibition of the history of British merchandising over the last century, from pre-war newspapers to post-war TVs and radios, and lots of TV show-related merch, from the Twizzle board game through to Space Precinct Bubble Bath and masses of supermarination memorabilia from all eras. It's well worth an hour of any Anderson fan's time. There. Great tip there. Yeah, so that's the Museum of Brands at Ladbrook Grove in London. Yeah, Amazing. Might have a look at that. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a fancy little day trip. Absolutely, I'll be up for that, certainly. Uh, so, yeah, there we are. That's all for now from our Facebook group. But uh, do join in if you're on Facebook. Uh, just search for uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast Official Listeners Group. There'll be a couple of questions to answer. And you can join in as many, many more people are every week. And I think we have a, a new celebrity member as well. Uh, the voice of new Captain Scarlet himself, Wayne Forrester, is now a member of our Facebook really? group. So, yeah, do join in. People post pictures of their merch and their cosplay and their silly ideas and their pictures and all sorts of fun. So, yeah, come and join in. Magical. Yeah. See you there. Uh, Richard James, would you like yes. a little break? You've done a lot of talking there, I you? feel like I've done a lot of talking, yeah. I feel like you've earned a small amount of time off. So the best way to do that is to hand over an interview. And it's not even me doing it this week. Again, it's the marvellous Ben Page doing it, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. Good. So this is the second part of Ben's chat with uh, Robert Wood and David Hirsch. Now, Robert has written the unofficial guide to Space 1999, and uh, David has written the original Space 1999 tech manual and has been involved with our more recent iteration of the Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations Manual. Mm-hmm. But together, with the help of Chris Penfold, they've written a new book, which is called To Everything That Might Have Been. Yes. It's a Space 1999 uh, story, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Ben's interviewed them. So here's part two of three with Robert and David. I mean, you got to remember there were situations where they went and they shot Black Sun, which was a tough episode because David Weir, who wrote the script, and we have David, Weir, uh, David Weir's original script uh, you know, story in the book, and Weir tends to overwrite. His stuff is almost unfilm. His stuff by those the, that day's standards was unfilmable in the special effects. Uh, he did a Doctor Who story that the BBC ended up shelving because they could they couldn't film it. It was they couldn't figure out how to film it. So Chris rewrote it to fit into what Brian Johnson and Keith Wilson could do. They shot the episode. They were all so proud of the episode. Sent it off to ITC, and they said, "We don't understand this. Don't ever do this again." 
And this frequently happened with episodes they were really proud of. Gardenia Peary, Keith Wilson was absolutely so proud of the set. Everyone thought it was a great Alien Planet set. They said, this is too weird, don't ever do it again. And yet they ended up using uh, photos of the set and all their publicity art because they, I guess in hindsight, they went, gee, maybe this is a good selling tool. And Keith Wilson for years got such praise from all different uh, uh, artistic circles about his design work. Yeah, there were a couple of references in the book um, where they were quite critical. The production itself, not even just ITC, but the, the immediate production was quite critical about the Peary set immediately after it was filmed, you know, and Jerry was one of them. And uh, he, there's a letter from him in there where he expresses his, you know, concerns about it. But he says that the guys in whatever, the, the, the color transfer department. Color lab, the lab, the yeah. Color lab, they saw it and they told him how great it looked. So maybe yeah. he was wrong, you know, yeah. he, he acknowledges. Uh, so it's funny how things that they were a little concerned about at the time turned out, you know, in all the years since to uh, really be highlights. Yeah. Black Sun is still to this day one of the most popular episodes. And, and it was of many of the cast members as well. Yeah. And they got, they did a lot of, I mean, the show was looked at, especially by the, the, the TV companies in, in England as a kid's show, but they didn't look at it as a kid's show. It was an adult show. They, they had episodes which were scary. You know, when we were kids and saw, you know, Dragon's Domain, we were scared. And yet it's considered like a mini movie. Even Johnny Byrne says, that was probably one of our best episodes, but we couldn't afford to do that episode ever again because it just, it was so much resources went into that one episode. Yeah. But they did an amazing job with it. They did. We have those showcase episodes you know, yes. and then other episodes where they were a little more, you know, restrained with their spending. Yeah. But they were even still, you know, they were good episodes because they focused more oh, yeah. on plot and character. And that was the thing that was amazing to me. The first time I saw the show was how, the format was so flexible that you could do, you know, an adventure story one week, a horror story the next week, and then something cinematic like Dragon's Domain, where it's all to, almost all told in flashback with a narration to boot. Mm -hmm. So there was just so, such inventiveness with the show. And it also had this unusual production schedule because since it wasn't they couldn't get an air sale for the following September. They ended up just shooting it for a year and a half. And they'd spend two weeks or more on an episode where they they could go back a month later and say, oh, yeah, uh, we need to pick up a scene. Let's shoot a scene, which you couldn't do on a regular show. You couldn't do on year two. No, uh, year two was a completely different. It, it's it's like two. It may look like the same show, but it's it's completely different series as far as how it had to have been shot because they were under such a time crunch when they did it. The first season. Yeah, we, we also have in the book uh, two different versions of preliminary schedules that were prepared in advance of starting production of year two, where they were charting out, they knew that they were going to fall behind on their delivery of the episodes to the stations in the United States. The only question was when would they fall behind? And so these were two different preliminary schedules predicting if we, they shot X number of days per episode and had a holiday break, we would fall behind here. If we shot shorter number of days per episode, didn't have a holiday break, we'd fall behind here. Well, in the end, they ended up falling behind 
way beyond their predictions. Wow. Or way sooner than their predictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why they had to do the double up episodes. Exactly. And even then, they were they were still behind. Yeah. They were behind on the delivery of the episodes to the U.S. I mean, it's it's not a, it's not a unique experience. I just discovered because I, I was watching the Blu-ray set of uh, the Tara King Avengers, and Linda Thorson mentions that at one point, because they were sh they were shooting the show on a two-week cycle like like Space Year One and Space Year Two, but they had air dates as well. And sometimes she said they were shooting three episodes at the same time. Yeah, and the the, the problem. In case we're going to, the problem with delivering those episodes late, falling behind on their schedule, is that it makes the TV channels run repeats to fill the spacing. When you're running repeats, your viewers who've already seen that one get bored and they tune out. Or they get bored of too many repeats and they stop watching. But back then you couldn't do that with syndication. Since the show was syndicated, they had to run them for 24 weeks straight and then do repeats. It was almost unheard of to run a repeat the following week. You were lucky if they got you preempted, but not in syndication. So they had to fill the slots with something, and if it wasn't a new episode of Space <laughs> Nine, then the audience wasn't happy. Yeah, yeah. So it hurts the ratings of the series in an in ongoing basis when that happens. Yeah, yeah. So we've mentioned one of the secrets to the success was the was the writers. You guys were lucky enough to, to collaborate with one of the writers in the making of this book. You mentioned yeah. you brought uh, documents to show Christopher Penfold. Yeah. How did how did you go from that to, to getting him involved with the book? Well, it just we sat we sat down during a meal with with him, and I, I remember saying to Chris that I, I really wanted him involved with this. It really was important to me to tell his side of the story because. Our focus on the book at the beginning, especially, was how the show was written, was was developed by the writers. We weren't trying to reinvent the wheel, trying to do another version of making a Space 1999. We were trying to say, this is a show that started off as one series, UFO 2. It came another series, which was the half-hour Space 1999, and then became another series, which was the one-hour version. And how do you go from point A to point C and then develop it into what we see on the air. And there was not a clear path in the sense that they knew kind of what they wanted to do, but to get the, the moon base designed, built, and cast, it, cast the characters, that took time. And every time they would either cast a character or design a set, that changed a lot of especially the original pilot script. I had also been uh, working with Chris Penfold for a number of years on uh, some writing projects. And so I had a good rapport with him, a good friendship with him already. And so uh, it was it was pretty immediately comfortable and easy for him to slide into agreeing to do this book project with us. Yeah, his biggest worry was that he wasn't going to remember things from so far back. Well, so we, we had reminded him, you know, yeah, we're all like that. And, um, you know, we had to sort of, had to, you know, massage it a little bit. And he, um, at one point, we had a big discussion about Black Sun. We had done a an early podcast, and uh, they played a clip where Barry Morse was claiming that he wrote, rewrote his dialogue for the Black Sun sequence. And Chris was like, I don't think that's true. And I said, well, 
I've got the George Bellock script, uh, uh, the David Weir script, and it's exactly the same thing. And then Chris said, I'm almost sure I completely rewrote all that dialogue. So I sent Chris the script, and he was like, I didn't, I thought I rewrote the script heavily, and I, it appears I didn't. Yeah. You know, so, you know, time does play a little bit of a trick. So we had to sort of discuss things to get him to remember certain things that he had forgotten just in the passage of time, which we all do. I mean, we all misremember things. I remember doing uh, the, the podcast early on the Super Space Theater movies and claiming that I never knew they were going to pull the episodes out of syndication. And then I found out I did know that. I wrote it in Star Wars once, and I just forgot about it. So we all do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris's contribution to the book was amazing, though. He, yeah, he read the whole thing. He gave us you know, all kinds of notes and input and, and uh, footnotes here and there about different subjects. Whenever something would pop in his mind, you know, he would just make a little note. He wrote several pieces for it. He wrote an article on George Bellack. He wrote an article, uh, uh, his recollections of all of his episodes. Uh, he wrote a uh, introduction. You know, so his his input has been huge, and uh, we're you know just honored and grateful to have had it. Yeah, it's definitely can't miss reading Chris Penfold and the rest of the book. Yeah, we thank him for that. It really, it's that was that was special to me. I was when he couldn't make the first convention that Rob and I met at. Uh, I was crushed because I really wanted him. You know, I really respected him as a writer. I loved what he, when he adapted the second series of Tripods. And, uh, you know, it was nice that Johnny Byrne brought him in to work on All Creatures Great and Small when Johnny became story editor for that show. So there was a nice synergy between these two guys. You know, they, really they remained, Johnny and Chris remained friends, you yeah. know, all the years after space until Johnny passed away. And, and Chris also remained friends with George Bellack on the day he passed away as well. It was important to Chris to write yeah. the piece on George, to give George the credit he deserved yeah. on the show, you know, because he had such a, an amazing contribution. There were wonderful things he came up with that were never used on the show either. So people will see that too. Now, what other, what other projects might our listeners know George Bellack for? What else is he? Uh, oh, jeez. I'd have to. I guess I, I would have to look him up on Internet Movie Database, or, or in the book, because we do. We oh, do yes, we do. We do list I, his credits in the book, but yeah, but I I don't have those fresh in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. I so mean, I would know more about George Bellick. No, because that was the thing with most of the writers who who worked on the show that they didn't come, as I said, from science fiction background. They were brought in like Johnny Byrne because Chris saw something in something they had previously written that he thought. Well, these people are going to fit in really nice. You know, Johnny, Eddie DiLorenzo, I mean, we're, we're all people that were just just perfect, you know, for his little sphere in the writer's room because it was a hectic thing. I'll uh, tell you, this is a little aside. It's just a little aside. It's kind of off topic. But John, but uh, Chris told us that George Bellack, when you look at that letter that's included in the book, you've got to yeah. look at his address. It's an address, a building on Central Park West. Yeah. Uh, which is the Ghostbusters building. Yeah. So there you go. It's just a tiny yeah. little piece of those. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he was there when they were shooting the movie. <laughs> what he thought about that. Yeah. Maybe he's it's in the background. It's a, small, it's a small world, yeah. Yeah. But that's, so that's moving, moving yeah. to year two, how did the, the writing process change? Or was, was there a temptation for the, 
for the production team to change the show completely? What was the what was Well, the I think once Freddie Freiberger was put in charge, I think everything kind of went out the window um, because I think I, the impression I always got was I think Johnny was led to believe that he was going to be story editor on series two. Yeah. That's Which why is, they you know, the episode. Yeah, and in the book we have in the period between year one and year two, there it begins with the critical commentary that Johnny wrote. And then it goes to what is called the summary of executive meetings. So that took place uh, in between the seasons uh, prior to Fred Freiberger coming on board. And that was like Jerry and, uh, and Johnny and Martin and Barbara and Brian Johnson and Charlie Crichton. People getting together, discussing all the things that went right and the things that went wrong with the show and beginning to chart a course forward, what they would do differently if they did a second season, which they didn't know. But in case they did, here was their way forward. And then a bit of time goes by, the show premieres, and then it's really amazing to see how quickly after the premiere, Jerry Anderson was over in the US hiring Fred Freiberg. It's shockingly fast. I mean, it's only, only a few episodes that aired. And the show was doing really, really well in the ratings right out of the gate. I mean, it dropped off later. Yeah. It, was all, it always did fine, but it, it did drop off later. But they were shopping for Freddie when the show was a brand new hit, basically. And which seems crazy to me that they had a show that was doing well yeah. and they immediately but, start. But I think that comes, I think that comes down to the, the, the Lou Grade sales yeah. pitch, which was always, I can sell a brand new show easier than another season of an existing show. So I think he immediately laid down the law to Jerry that everything has to be so different that we could pitch it that way. It's different when they were doing a network show like The Saint or uh, Secret Agent, Danger Man, where if the network is happy with the show, they're going to buy another season. That's easy enough. But when you're syndicating a show and you're selling a package of 24 episodes, you have to give them a reason to say, we'll buy another 24 episodes instead of just rerunning it to death. Because you you're asking Jerry knew because of what had happened with UFO where the ratings were high. They might be dropped off. Do you think? That oh, was something it's very possible that he did. That was in his mind because one of the funny things is we have in the book is UFO. You know, everyone knows about UFOs production problems where they shot 17 episodes and then found out the studio was closing, and they had to shut down production and shift over to Pinewood Studios, which re resulted in a, a several month gap between the end of the season where they lost some of the cast. Space 99 had almost a similar problem. They were all set up at one studio to shoot. And before even an inch of film went through the camera, they had to shut down and pull everything up and go to Pinewood. So, and, and then of course they had kept the same casting issues. UFO had this actor, Franco DeRosa, who they used in UFO, who was supposed to play a major part he wasn't working out. They they had to fire him and suddenly recast the show and, and change. Gay Ellis was the character originally by Franco DeRosa. Same thing with Space. They they were going to use all these Italian actors. and Suddenly they couldn't find an actor who could speak English well enough that they had to recast it with local talent until they could find Italian talent. But there were all these little things, and I think as this 
you know, adds up to Jerry, he, his, his, in the forefront of his mind is, how are we going to get something going immediately? You know, so, so Jerry was over, he, he found Fred Freiberger, and he wrote a letter to Martin and Barbara uh, expressing his thoughts about Fred Freiberger and getting their approval. And in that letter, Jerry assures them that he will be the producer and that Fred will be the story writer. Story editor. And of course, that doesn't that happen. But um, Jerry, Jerry, after Fred came and so many changes were made, uh, Jerry essentially took more of a backseat and let Fred go ahead. And, but I mean, that was how the series got sold, was yes. on the basis of the changes that Weiberger was coming up with. I, he was probably just as burned out as, as Chris was by episode 20 with all this constant fiddling from all these different areas. You know, you have to constantly saw, uh, answer to all these masters. And I think once Jerry realized that the only way we're going to get this second series done is if I agree to do these changes. And, and, that's, and that, at the time, it wasn't because the first season had not succeeded. No, it was it was really because that was what they needed to do in order to get Lou Gray yeah. to show interest and funding. Yeah. But then, by the time the go ahead came, by the time Lou Gray said yes, basically, uh, it was so late that they had yeah. to really rush in order to you know still fall behind, as we were already saying. Yeah, and everything had to become had to become a factory machine. It had to be very easy to shoot, very easy to. Um, you know, get everything, get scripts done right away. They could, they couldn't, they didn't have the time that they had with one. Yeah. Which is why Fred wrote a couple of them himself, Charles Woodgrove. Right. The famous Charles Woodgrove. But you, you know, and the funny thing is, I noticed recently, we've all had had these discussions about Lee Katzen and, you know, allegedly overrunning on Breakaway. And yeah, they spent a lot more time than normal on the first episode because it was the first and this was you know a real flagship show for itc so i think they were willing to do this and if you look at how the meticulous coverage that lee katzen did for the first episode and i recently saw he did the pilot for a man from atlantis and the style is totally different it's like it's not by the same director this is straight american television shooting everything is bang, 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 there's really no style to it. We're just going to get the story on camera, and that's it. And just as George Bellack put in so much effort to establish the, you know, that the base was a real location, so did Lee Katzen. He made the place busy. Monitors are all, are all a hive of activity. There's a real style to it. And you could see how everyone approached the first series as really feature films. Oh, one more part to come next week. But thank you, Ben. Yes. Thank you, David. Thank you, Robert. Yes, very uh, interesting. If you want to get a hold of their book, you can go to Telos Publishing or Amazon. Oh, those are pregnant balls. I know. I, it was actually just so I could uh, swallow a bit of saliva. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but you can get a Kindle version at Amazon, uh, which I think has been top of one of the, uh, the, the charts there. I can't remember which one, but uh, yes, clearly proving to be very popular indeed. Yeah. Uh, now, Jamie, just before we move on, you're looking nice and relaxed there. Nice sort of resting heart rate. Your breathing's uh, nice and shallow. I, and d- I doubt you're spending just... time with you, my resting yeah. heart rate is, 
is well, that low. You just uh, look like perhaps you need pepping up a bit. A bit of excitement. So how about this week's Tom Hodden's Quick Fire Five? Right, Jamie, are you ready for this? Once again, you're going to be playing as Mitch the Monkey facing yet another Quick Fire Five adventure. Question one. Congratulations, Mitch. Your first month in a new job as a NASA test subject has been going exceptionally well. You're just a few moments away from making history. Your probe is just a few moments away from touching down on Mars. Unfortunately, yeah. something's gone terribly wrong and the instruments oh. in your console are all flashing red. Ground control back on Earth are sounding worried and you're pretty sure your engines are failing. Quick, Mitch, it's time to fall back on your half morning of training. So what do you do? Turn the space capsule off and back on again? Or hit it? Oh, power cycling is always the way to do it, isn't that? Fixes oh. everything. So off and on again. Okay, your capsule smacks to a landing in a rocky Martian valley. A few moments later, the parachute fires and goes drifting away, carried off by the dust storm. You're stranded and alone on a hostile world. Mitch, how are you getting out of this one? Call for help or fix the engines? Well, obviously, fix the engine as, as a qualified oh. simian engineer. Oh, of course, right. Okay, so you wait for the worst of the dust storm to pass and venture out to inspect your engines. Carefully removing the covers, you see all kinds of complex thingamies and very important gubbins. It looks like one mm. of those uh, something or others has burned out and needs replacing. Luckily, just over the horizon, you can see what looks like a blurry focus city full of amazing alien technology. They're sure to have a spare doohickey to put in the gizmotron. As you explore the mysterious city, you quickly realise you don't understand any of it. Still, you must do something. So, what do you do? Push buttons or pull levers? <laughs> pull levers. More satisfying, I think. Pull levers. Whacking the control panel sends you flying far off course. You make a rough landing on a quiet spot of a twinkly star that seems to be uninhabited other than some toys somebody has left napping under a tree. Your space capsule is in working order, but the power cells are depleted. You set out to investigate this topsy-turvy land, but what do you look for first? Space batteries for a rocket or food and water? <laughs> food, food and water That's food my and water. this seems to be going on inordinately long times doesn't it you venture forth and you feel a thrill of excitement as you see a rocket close by but as you bounce over you discover it's made of cardboard your instant reaction shocks you because it's cr it's written in clear loud English uh, you're surprised that that makes you cry out again with two more swear words uh, that is when things get really weird your words seem to have stirred the toys to life I think I've messed this up because uh, it's not making any sense at all now is it no it's not <laughs> <laughs> Now, the grotesque, frankly terrifying bunch rise to their feet and lumber towards you, baying and complaining about your language. Quick, Mitch, what do you do? Run as fast as you can or try to hide? I mean, at this stage, does it matter? <laughs> OK, I've got I to... Run, I've got, I run, No, well, I've got to speed you on to question 14 because that's the last one. 14? <laughs> Uh, you speak in a hurry, and once you've convinced the professors that no, you didn't hit your head, don't know what happened there, and yes, you are being serious, help in the form of a supercar is soon dropping out of the sky to rescue you, and as you hop aboard, what is your advice to the gang? Take off and make, uh, uh, nuke them all from orbit, or get us out of here? Get us out of here, that seems the only option at this stage. <laughs> and that is this week's terribly presented Quick Fire 5. Wow, that was... Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. I mean, is that... Yeah. That's definitely it's really... a, yeah. a, an offence worth of a verbal warning, I think. Yeah, what, for me or for Tom, do you think? Uh, both, and even the dog disagrees with what happened there. So, I mean, I felt, I felt I'd slipped into a, a parallel universe there for yes. a moment or something. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, it didn't quite work, but uh, entirely my fault. Apologies, it's a lovely Tom idea, Bond. though. I'll try again next week. Might get Thanks, it right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, yeah we'll okay. get take Take two in 208. <sighs> there we are. Anyway, all that excitement. And look, Chris Dale's been snoring through it all. Oh, he Whimpering. missed the whole thing. Yeah. He would have loved that as well. <sighs> yeah, he would have done. Uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> the, the little dog barking has woken him from his slumber. Is there anything oh. else you want to do before he wipes the saliva from his mouth? Uh, no, let's uh, let him get on with it. And I've got some tweets for you after the round. Okay, fine. Uh, oh dear, poor Chris has got the imprint of a dog's paw on the side oh, of his face where he's been yes. sleeping on there. It's very sweet. You're right. Does look a bit weird, but uh, yeah, Chris, oh. you must be nice and refreshed now. So why don't you give us a randomizer where you press that randomizer button and give us a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson series and say some, in, you know, probably sleepy things actually now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's nodding. Off we go for the randomizer. Mr. Random lived in Randomland. He lived his life in no particular order. He would often get up before he'd gone to bed, and he liked to watch Jerry Anderson episodes in a random order. In fact, everything and everyone in Randomland was completely random. In Randomland, the rain fell upwards, into the mouth of a giant painting of Engelbert Humperdinck. And in Randomland, the, the government was accountable to the will of the people, and not the other way around. <laughs> have, you, have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> now this particular story is all about the time that Mr. Random drove his dishwasher to the bank. Not to deposit money, as you or I might do, but to pick up the latest issue of Scuba Diving Monthly and a packet of chocolate hobnobs. Nookney, said the bank manager, as Mr. Random drove into the foyer, which is Klingon for what do you want. But before Mr. Random could say what he wanted, the door burst open and in marched an angry-looking turnip armed with a water pistol and a bag-marked swag. Nobody move, said the turnip. Hand over all the money, nobody gets wet. You won't find any money here, said Mr. Random. This is a bank, you see. I'm afraid they only sell magazines about scuba diving, fresh gark, and these rather delicious chocolate hobnobs. That, said the turnip, is quite random. Just then, Mr. Random had the best idea he was going to have all his life. I say, he said, perhaps you'd care to join me in watching a random episode of a Jerry Anderson show. Only if it's the Four Feather Falls episode, Gold Diggers, said the turnip. That's just what I was planning to watch, said Mr. Random, lying through his teeth. And can I have a chocolate hobnob, asked the turnip. You certainly can, said Mr. Random. Very soon, the episode was playing. The turnip was enjoying himself enormously, while Mr. Random was trying his best to ignore the fact that the bank manager was sharpening his batleth and had a rather murderous look in his eyes. Cake. <laughs> the four feathers on this hat are magic. They enable Tex Tucker's dog and horse to speak, and his guns to fire without him even touching them. And now, another exciting adventure from Four Feather Falls. So... We, we seem to be in a, a patch with the randomizer at the moment of uh, shows that haven't been on for a while are all suddenly making a comeback and here's another one four feather falls and just looking at this this wonderful tracking shot of um of uh, good old tex tucker at the end of the street there in four feather falls i'm just thinking of the last time i saw that image which would have been uh, on the big screen at the standby fraction concert in birmingham 
how nice. How nice to see uh, uh, that uh, on the big screen. And uh, yeah, I, I, I believe I did detect a, a titter or two on that shot of um, Tex's crotch with the guns swivel up and start firing. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the concert. Hey, friends. Yes, you like Grandpa Twink saying hello to us. Well, the jailhouse got a new floor. You oh. see, Pedro and Fernando was a building their new roof when... Oh, this is quite ambitious. It's a hard work, amigo. Huh? <laughs> Fernando's on top of their shack, working on the roof. Plan to set him on fire. Who? I have to make a new roof. What oh. I've, what's going on? Who's Who's been set on fire? It didn't work, but it was a good plan anyway. Oh, whoa. That's it, Fernando's gone through the roof. Oh, poor guy. Imbecile! You're supposed to build it up and not to knock it down. But that was a very, very large uh, exterior set they had there to have Fernando up on the roof and Pedro uh, talking to him from the ground. And th the camera was quite a way back. That was that was very impressive. Boxy. What kind of box? So. It says day. Who is a day? Dead. Yeah. Look. Oh. D E E D. Yeah, that spells dead, all right. Dead. idiot. What do you mean, a dead? That's not a dead. That's a deed. Not a dead. Give it to me. Okay. Oh, human hand insert shot there. Yes. Oh. Revealing a map. A map. A map of the town. It's a buried treasure. Maybe we're gonna be rich after all. Was that hidden in the roof? How did he find that by falling through the roof of their shack? This cross is where the gold is. Ah. The gold is. We're just instantly assuming gold because, well, it's four for the fools. It's a western for kids. Of course, it's going to be gold. Then uh, dig. Ah. So, under cover of darkness. Fernando. But of course, it doesn't really work with Pedro because. Even when it's in, you know, shadow and sort of half-darkness like it is here, his constantly grinning face and perfect white teeth, and also the whites of his eyes, they do lend quite an unsettling effect as you see him plodding through the darkness, but this, this glooming, s sinister, sneering face is perfectly illuminated. Boss, wake up! It's Pedro! Oh. What, uh, Pedro? Yeah! Pedro! What, Pedro? Yeah, Pedro! Okay. That was some Steve Zodiac level of uh, of response there. Right under the jailhouse. Luckily, Dusty is on the case. Oh, easy. One of us gets a Dexter to put him in jail. Because <laughs> that's never happened before. Amigo, now look, I tell you what are we going to do? Treasure under the jailhouse. That's just about the darndest thing I've heard in years. Well, and I don't have a song to cover that. He's aiming to dig it for me. I ain't gonna stop him. Oh, okay. You can try. So, um, he's just gonna let them <laughs> dig up his jailhouse. Okay. That was an interesting shot of Tex in his bedroom there as well, because, um, again, darkness. But we didn't see Tex. We just saw his outline. We didn't see his face. He was in total darkness. A happy hearts and friendly. And Dusty was was eliminated there. Good job, Dusty's on the case. Uh, well, I have a lot of respect for Tex Tucker as a lawman, but sometimes his sort of oh, let him get on with it attitude uh, perhaps works against his uh, 
his raison d'etre. Give me those wooden shacks and open spaces, happy hearts and friendly faces, way back in my hometown. I love this song. The cocks are crowing in the morning. It's so hard to talk over because there's, it is what people um, criticise Terrorhawks for, is the plot has to stop for Kate to sing a song. I think with Terrorhawks, they always found a sort of creative way to integrate them, or at least to come out of them with something going wrong at the studio. But here, we just have to have the song. But it's another of those lovely shots of someone arriving in town on horseback, and we're just holding on the character on the horse as the town rolls in behind them. And it's not like a flat backdrop or anything, that's a 3D set, so... Again, very ambitious stuff. Ah. Now listen, somebody's got to stay out and do the thinking. Bob Muchacho, I don't like a jail. Why you don't go? You wanna be rich, Fernando? Why does he not like the jail? He seems to spend more time in there than he does in his own little shack. Anyway, they're hiding in a That's right. bale of straw. Watching Tex. Later, I come and bring you shovel so you can dig. Ah. I don't like this. And Tex won't notice I that either. I don't like this at all. Oh, but Fernando's got a shotgun. Oh no! He's shooting up Martha Jones's store! And the bank! Oh no, everyone's running for their lives. And Tex is just standing there with his hands on his hips saying, Wow. I in in all my years he looks he looks just just put out kind of put out and like almost like he's about to do a sort of jig. Howdy, Fernando. Having fun? Oh, sheriff. Just a little party. That's all, little party, eh? You you are gonna arrest me? Ain't no party complete without a little dancing, so... Oh, what, what do you mean? Oh, so is Tex going to do his dance? Oh, no. He's going to make Fernando dance. And he's not even bothering to use the magic from his magic guns. He's going to fire them himself. Lots of um, gun flashes painted onto the, uh, the film negative here. And everyone's laughing at Fernando. Because, you know, it's not like they've got um, shotgun damage to their various properties to repair. Oh, I do like Pedro. I don't know if it's... It's a perfect combination, I think, of this weird puppet. And I wouldn't say he's a bad-looking puppet. He's just very weird. With the voice of, uh, of Kenneth Connor. That was real nice. At, at times, he almost comes ac across with a sort of manic air. Funny is Fernanda dancing. <laughs> Maybe things will be quiet around here and now them two is split up. I say that having not yet repaired the glass mirror behind the bar from the last time he shot it up. There's treasure buried under the jail. Only thing to do is to let him dig. Mm. So terrible. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, look, he's coming this way with some dynamite. Nothing could go wrong with this plan of just leaving him to it. This has got to be me. And, of course, you have to feel for Fernando a bit. Good time to go. Not only does he have... He has to go out and, um, you know, make a nuisance of himself with Tex. He then has to do all the digging. And then share it with Pedro. Tell the truth, Jim. I am. You see, I've... Uh, <coughs> 
I'd have broken the key to the bank strong room and, uh, well, uh, <laughs> I can't get in. Well, maybe you're to telegraph to Silver City for the locksmith. Oh, I already have, yes, but uh, it seems he can't get here for another couple of days, and uh, I gotta send the gold out to them ranches tomorrow to pay the cowboys. <laughs> maybe get Pedro and Fernando to help. Mighty sore if they don't get their money on time. They're gonna beat me again. Think maybe you've brought enough? <laughs> you want I should get some more? Oh, so Pedro's ended up in jail for demanding to know why Tex hadn't arrested Fernando. That's quite funny. Okay. How is he going, amigo? He's hard work, no? <laughs> if it hadn't been for the Tex Stalker, I would be outside. And Fernando would be doing the digging. Oh, well. Such is life. It's not fair! Jumping Jehoshaphat! I didn't think he'd dig that much. Me neither. Jumping Jehoshaphat? Oh. He digs up the whole town. Maybe I should have tried to stop him earlier, but oh, I'm only the sheriff around here. Fernando! <laughs> Pedro is about, I don't know, three feet down by this point through the floor. Meanwhile, it's the next morning and outside Fernando has fallen asleep. Is some... Quite, uh, quite amazingly, uh, slack, um, police work on the part of Tex here. It's just, you know, I know I'm gonna, they're gonna dig through my floor and maybe dig up the whole town, but let's just see how far this goes. Of course, Fernando being asleep, Tex is now waiting outside the window to take all of the gold. I'll be able to pay them cowboys now. And he's giving it to Mr. Jackson to take to pay off them cowboys before they come and do him a mischief. And Pedro hasn't noticed that he's been passing it to Tex rather than Fernando. Gold? You ain't give me no gold. Uh-oh. You ain't trying to double-cross me, are you? Amigo, would I do that? It's a really nice relationship, actually, between these two baddies, because they're not all that bad, but they can be quite effective villains, and sometimes they can they can do the, the comedy silly stuff quite well. Sacramento! Uh, particularly here, when you've got Pedro's grinning face pressed up against the bars of the jailhouse. Yes, you can. Sure thing, Mr. Jackson. And maybe, well, I can get a new hat for Pedro and uh, some uh, sea guys for Fernando. Yeah, well, let's reward the villains. We don't reward the villains enough in this show. I don't want a new hat. <laughs> Give me back my gold. Give me back my gold. My gold! That's it. Jackson's riding out of town. Tex is waving goodbye. Pedro is having a full meltdown in the jailhouse. And that was Gold Diggers. And uh, I found that quite enjoyable, actually. Again, all of Four Further Falls is just a, a delight. Even in this horrible murky SD, it's, um, it's quite a shame to come back to this after seeing um, things like Supercar and Fireball and Stingray now looking so lovely. When do we get our Four Feather Falls Blu-rays? That's what I want to know. But yes, a nice little story there with some more uh, fun villainy from uh, from Pedro and Fernando. I'm not quite sure why Tex let uh, all this play out for as long as he did, but uh, there we go. They got the money, they got the gold, and the cowboys are going to be happy at least.
It's heaven on the range to me as well. Ah, yeah, lovely. Absolutely. <laughs> what a lovely song. Yes. I'm, I'm reminded uh, now, just from a bit of Fall for the Falls, of that lovely thing of the Tex Tucker song at the concert uh, of him in the bar. <laughs> yeah. Which got so many lovely chuckles yeah. all the way through. It was rather yeah. lovely, wasn't it? Now, here's a question. So, talking of standby for action, we all know that's out on DVD and Blu ray uh, shortly. I think it's ready for pre order now, isn't it? Will it, uh, when we sit down to watch, will it include all the lovely clips that we saw live uh, in the uh, the concert? Some, but not all. Uh Ah, yeah, fair enough. That's rights issues, I suppose, and so on. Licensing costs are prohibitive, meaning we can't have everything we have on the big screen, but we'll put in as much as we possibly can and maybe try and throw in some extra goodies as well. Yeah. But also, um, we want to see the orchestra, don't we? That's fine. Yes, you'll see plenty yeah. of the orchestra. Uh, lots of there's uh, lots of lovely wides. You know, lots of um, yeah. close-ups Great. of the percussion nice. and Francois on the armed Martineau and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So yeah, lovely. yeah, brilliant. It Great. Uh, now, over on Twitter, people have been hashtagging us. Hashtag Jerry Anderson podcast. Tagging me, Richard and James. Him over there. I'm Jamie Anderson. And him over there, just uh, scraping the dog fur from his salivary cheek. Chris Dalek. Uh, for Ooh. example, Lost in Transition says, "I wonder how many people yelled." Of course, Winter Davis was in UFO as Morgan, the security guard, at Jamie and yeah. Richard during the Jerry Anderson podcast. Yeah. Well. Well, funnily enough, I feel there's a bit of a theme developing here where we basically bugger up everything every week. Yeah. Yeah, you I'd have to be told well. something by someone. That's that's really about it. But you know, yes. we never profess to know everything, do we? That's Chris oh, Dale's God, job. No. Yeah, absolutely. I so, I know very little, in fact, and I well, I, I hasn't to say that Richard knows even less. There you go. I didn't even have to insult him; he did it himself. Uh, that's right. Uh, Jeff Owen tweeted, "How have I never noticed how ridiculous the Terror Hawks episode writers' names are? Obviously, all pseudonyms and part of the humour of the Terror Hawks production. Yeah. Who were they all?" Uh, to which Kevin John Davies responded, uh, "They were nearly." All Tony Barwick. The scripts yep. also got more jokey as they went along, and Steve Begg's model FX work got better and better too. Absolutely, yeah. that's fair enough. Do you remember any of the uh, the joke names, the writers' names, Jamie from uh, Felix Katstein? Oh, is okay. one of the ones I remember. They, they were always something, something Stein. I see. Of, often a lot more uh, punny than Felix Katzstein, yeah. but I, I'm sure that's one of them. Great. Uh, Frank Collins tweeted, At last I've managed to catch Jerry Anderson a life uncharted. It's a powerful love letter to a father whose own upbringing and difficulties with relationships obscured his own self-belief. Hope he knew how many childhoods, or rather happy childhoods, his work touched. International emotional rescue. Says Frank ah, Collins. lovely. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. What nice uh, Charles you. Murphy says, When you suddenly learned Jerry Anderson was planning a Thunderbirds reboot before the cartoon happened and two characters were getting gender-swapped or replaced, I wonder which ones? Know anything about Well, that? I know, but I, I can't tell you that, Couldn't possibly say. Yeah. That would be right. letting you into something. But yes, yeah, oh, that, was, that was way back when when they were saying, Oh, but, you know, they're change, changing the characters and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, yeah. well, Dad did want to change the characters a bit himself. Okay, so. yeah, fair enough, fair enough. In a different uh, way, finally. Yeah, uh, the official Jerry Anderson Twitter account tweeted, The marvellous Chris Bentley was at our warehouse earlier today, signing copies of Space 1999 The Vault. Everyone who ordered a copy from the Jerry Anderson store will get a signed copy, but we only have a few left. And now they're all gone. Oh, curses! There we go. Uh, so that's all from Twitter. But uh, do head on over there and uh, hashtag us Jerry Anderson podcast so we can see your tweets. Please do that. We yes. would love to hear from you. Yes. Uh, now I'm going to get to work on this letter thing. So we oh, can have sure. a PO box or something. I don't know yeah. what, but I'll work oh, it out. Oh, God. Mm. And uh, <laughs> no. 
<laughs> you no. didn't seem very happy no, about that. I think that. that could work. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. Okay, I good. I don't really know. Yeah. Well, well, something will be, it'll be... Yeah, it'll be lovely to get a handwritten note, though, won't yeah, it? Yeah. Anyway, will. until then... Yeah. That's the end of pod 207. So wow. We'll be back next time with pod 208. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you have a rather marvellous week. Mm-hmm. And uh, many good things, uh, many good fortunes come your way. Oh, thank you, oh, wise Jamie Anderson. <laughs> I do though. I love it when nice things happen to people email us and say, "Oh, I got this great surprise." Yes, yeah, so yeah. If you've got okay. some good news to share, it doesn't have to be good. But if you have got some, then do email us podcast@jerryanderson.com. Leave us a nice review or a rating, indeed, if you oh, feel yes. so minded. Yeah. And I love how you immediately gave up on your uh, send podster on amusement or whatever the SPA was. But <laughs> please well, we do had a much continue better. to do that. Yeah, we had a good FAB, didn't we? I forgot Fans what I was. Fans answer back. Oh, that's it. Yes, so that's absolutely. The, well, so. SPA and FAB. Exactly. That's at the end of POD 207 uh, TTFN. Bye. <laughs> Stage one complete. Let's go. Now, uh, Podstrons, if you've stayed on this far, I'd like to now welcome our special guests, Craig oh. Charles and Terry oh. Wogan. Ah, well now, gone and never called me mother, eh? It's the old lad himself. It's Craig Charles. Hi, Terry. How are you? You like kid? How's that? Well, I mean, All right? I-, I thought they were in the room for a second. Get away with that? Or was that offensive the, the, to anyone? The, 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 ter- the Terry is, is, is not offensive. I think okay. the Craig Charles might be. I think if he was going to come on the podcast, uh, we've now lost the opportunity there. But haven't I? Yeah. But I'll give you uh, I'll give you eight out of ten for Terry. You're nice. F- four, four, four and a half out of ten for Craig. How's that? Oh, Craig Charles. I listened Three to Craig Charles on, on Radio 6 Music in the afternoon. He sounds exactly like that. It doesn't show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, oh, wait, I'll on. leave you to go and work on your impressions. I think oh, I'm what? thinking of uh, I'm thinking of Craig David. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's two out of ten oh, now. I think you better stop while you've still okay. got any points left. Yeah. Uh, the old Wogan here. Yeah, I yeah, should yeah, okay. stick to what I know best, huh? Yeah. Anyway, nice talking to you, Richard. Bye. Gone and never called me mother. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.